You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. Well, good morning. I really love this extra wide music stand. It's pretty cool. Um, we use the same thing at Mustard Seed, the church that we serve at in Japan. Um, I'm, I'm happy that there's nothing on here because there were a few moments at Mustard Seed when we went up and the music you know, leader, he left his music on the stand. And when I left taking my notes with me, oh, sorry, I've got this all in the wrong spot. I accidentally took his music with me. Um, and I get back and I'm looking at my papers and I was like, why do I have so many extra papers? And I see him up on the stage leading worship, just staring at me. And, and I was like, oh no, I took his, I took his music. But so uh, as, as Adam said, we're missionaries and um, we're here in the United States right now. And as we travel around, I have the privilege to share with a lot of different churches all over the Midwest. I'm from Wisconsin. Uh, my wife is from Minnesota. We met in Missouri. And so we've got connections all over this kind of North Midwest area. And we go to a lot of different churches and we worship with a lot of different churches. And guys, I have to tell you, like this morning when we were worshiping, um, man, I just felt something really deep in my heart. And I like, it kind of hit me kind of hard. And there was like a moment when my little daughter Judy came and she climbed up in my arms and I heard her singing that song, like, I depend on you. And I just like wept. So I'm already super emotionally charged this morning. So you guys are, uh, yeah, just, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> already really emotional, but man, I think I felt God moving here. It was really good. Thank you. Thank you for this chance. So, um, as I said, uh, my family up on the little screen here, it's, uh, my name's Will. My wife's name is Mary Jo. She goes by Joe. We have Nora, Judy, and Eddie, three children, um, and we live in Nagoya, Japan. There I work with a ministry called Christ Bible Institute. I'm going to just keep saying CBI a whole bunch of times, so it stands for Christ Bible Institute. It's, we have a seminary. It's a ministry center there in the middle of Nagoya. Um, but we've been there since 2009, and in that time, we've uh, we lived up in Sendai, up in northern Japan, and eventually we came down here into, came down to Nagoya to work with a church there, um, and we were working with Mustard Seed Christian Church. Um, I'm just going to call it Mustard Seed. Um, we write MSCC on stuff. That feels like an awkward acronym to say, but uh, we serve as a part of that church. Um, we volunteer there. We're a part of the community, but my work, my nine-to-five job is with the seminary, is with CBI. Um, and Mustard Seed, I'm going to share a lot today about CBI and what we've got going on there, but Mustard Seed's got some really exciting things happening too. Um, we've started an initiative where we want to plant 12 churches in the 12 largest cities in Japan by 2025, um, and we're well on our way to be there. When we joined Mustard Seed uh, about 11 years ago, think about that for a second, time really keeps moving. Um, when we joined there, they had just sent off the first team to go plant the Osaka church, and now they've got churches in, uh, actually, I think I've got a map up here of Japan in the images um, that I've got, maybe, yeah, there we go. So we're in, if you go one more forward, you can see we're in Nagoya, a little arrow there, but we've got, Mustard Seed now has churches in Osaka, Kyoto, uh, Kobe, Sendai, Tokyo, and we just sent someone off to go to Hiroshima. Um, so we've got seven churches now, and we're really excited to see how God has been growing the community that exists there. But it hasn't been easy. And the reason we're so excited by it is because historically, Japan has been a really dark place. 
Now, the predominant religions in Japan are Buddhism and Shinto. Now, Shinto is an animistic indigenous religion. It, it has a lot to do with the appeasement and prayers to spirits that live in, in all things. Um, and Buddhism came from China to Japan in the 6th century. And for a long time, that was actually the state-mandated religion. Um, when you were born in Japan, you needed to go to the Buddhist temple and register as a Buddhist. Um, and there was a time, there was a time even, you know, during, well, during that time when being a Christian in Japan was illegal and punishable by death. Um, and during the 1500s, there was a period of time where they tried to exterminate and did a very good job of exterminating all of the Christians from Japan. Um, but today, that, that kind of changes how Christianity exists in Japan. Um, sorry, let me look at my notes here for a second. I got kind of off track here. All right. Well, that was what I was going to say. It wasn't until the 1800s that Japan had freedom of religion, but in that time, it was you were free to choose these two choices, Buddhism or Shinto, um, and people did. But it wasn't until after the World War II that it really, there was a, a good concentrated effort of Christian missionary um, efforts happening in Japan. Now, here's the interesting thing. According to the 2020 report on international religious, religious freedom, 48% of Japanese people identified as Shinto, 46% of them identified as Buddhist, and 1% uh, identified as Christian. Now, in a similar survey, now, of course, I know these numbers don't exactly add up. It's two different surveys. But in another survey done by the Japanese Agency for Cultural Affairs, they just asked people, do you identify as religious or non-religious? And when they asked these people that, 51% of people said they identified as non-religious. So you have 94% of people identifying as, oh, sorry, that's not, that's not how math works, 84% of people identifying as either Shinto or Buddhist, but in another survey, 51% of people saying that they are non-religious. Now, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, but in my experience in Japan, it actually kind of does. There's this huge overlap between people who identify as Buddhist or Shinto, but who don't actually hold it as a faith. Now, um, Nora's not in here right now, which is good, because I'm going to tell a story about her, and she's always embarrassed when I tell a story about her. Um, she's going to a school. Uh, we, we send her to a public school in Japan, and before compulsory education, starting at first grade, they have a thing called yochian, and it's like a combination of preschool and kindergarten together. And as we were trying to pick out a yochian to send her to, we, we didn't have a lot of choices, but the one of them had a bus that came to our apartment, and they seemed really cool, and we're like, oh, this is a great one. What we discovered, though, was that it was affiliated with a Buddhist temple. There was, there was a Buddhist temple there that sponsored and ran this, uh, this yochian. And we went to the school, and we said, hey, listen, we're Christians, and we don't want our kids to participate in any religious practices. And the school, much to their credit, was really cool about it. They were like, oh, yeah, of course not. Yeah, we, we respect that. Here are the days when a Buddhist priest would come and talk to the kids. So just keep them home. It's, we won't ask them to be a part of any religious practices. We're like, great, awesome. Time goes by, and Nora comes home from school one day, and she says, oh, I did something fun at school. And I was like, what did you do? And she's like, I washed a statue. And I was like, what? And she's like, I clapped and washed a statue. And I was like oh, I don't know what that is. I'm going to Google, and I'm looking for the answer. Come to find out, that day was Buddha's birthday. And it's traditional tradition in Buddhism, on Buddha's birthday, to go to a 
statue of Buddha and make a sacrifice of sweet tea. Historically, I guess, Buddha's favorite drink. It was like uh, you'd give a sacrifice to this idol. And I was really fired up. I was like, that's a religious practice. And they said they wouldn't do that. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Lucky for them, my Japanese was not good enough to give them a piece of my mind, um, which is probably good. It's, it's, you know, I want to be polite and winsome in all things, but I went to the office at CBI, and we have some Japanese staff members, and I explained this story to one. I was like, hey, can you help me call them? I was like, I don't know if I can really explain this well enough. And uh, one of our staff members, this really passionate woman, just goes, well, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. And I was like, all right, I got to pick the right person. And she calls them up and she says, hey, I'm calling on behalf of the Rucks and you said this and then they did this. And that's obviously against what you said they would do. And the woman on the phone, and and she is relaying this conversation as she has it to me. The woman on the phone was shocked and aghast. She's like, oh no, we didn't ask them to do a religious practice. She's like, well, you had them go give a sacrifice to Buddha. And she's like, oh, that is a religious practice. Now, what has happened is over time in Japan, Buddhism and Shinto have become so intertwined with people's cultural identities, it has lost its faith significance. And this woman in this school was just having the kids go do this, because on Buddha's birthday, you go, you put the tea on, then you go back to class. And it was just going through the motions, and she had no, it, it didn't dawn on her that this was a significant religious practice. It's a uh, It's kind of hard to see that, but when I think about it, when I'm sitting there, and then I think about where I grew up in America, like, is it so different from us sometimes? Are there moments when we go through the motions, but the faith doesn't quite penetrate to our hearts? That really makes Japan, and I think America too, a difficult ministry environment. We've got a picture up here of a Buddhist temple. This one is near our house. Um, it's in an area uh, near uh, Ozone, and it's, it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful building. The next one is a Shinto shrine. Um, this one is very similar lip- looking, but a little different. Now, there's a rope on there, and uh, there's a bell above the rope. And what you do when you go there is you go and you, you ring the bell and you clap your hands. And the idea is that you're trying to get the Spirit's attention. And then you, throw your, you say your prayer and you throw your money into the box. That really reminds me of a story. Every time I see it, I think about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And in, in this story, right, Elijah is confronting these prophets and he's telling them, well, let's make two altars, one to Baal and one to God, and then we'll pray and whichever God answers and lights the altar on fire, that's the one who is the true God. And as the prophets of Baal are yelling and screaming and cutting themselves, yelling out, trying to get Baal to answer, Elijah's taunting them, and he says, he says, maybe he's, he's away on vacation. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe yell louder to wake him up, and, you know, the end of the story is that they douse Elijah's altar with water. He prays to God, and fire comes down from heaven and consumes it, but when I see these places, when I watch the people go to the temple and on the festival days line up around the block to throw their money in that box, it makes me think of, of that moment, like, there, in, in, the, in that passage, in that story, it says, after he taunts them, it says, no one answered because no one was there. And there is no one there to hear. It is an empty place. Now, 
on top of all of this, this history of religion in Japan, the history of persecution of Christianity in Japan, what makes things a little bit more complicated is uh, Nagoya itself. So I've got a picture here of Nagoya City. Uh, that's where we live. Um, there's another picture right behind it that gives you a little bit more of a scope of the city that we live in. It is a sprawling cityscape where buildings just kind of go as far as the eye can see. Um, Nagoya City proper is 2 million people, but it's nestled in an urban area of 10 million people. Japan's population in total is 125 million people. Now, that is about 30% of the size of the U.S., but its surface area, Japan's surface area, is 4% of the size of the U.S. I was looking for states that had similar sizes. Montana is almost exactly the same square mileage as Japan. So imagine taking... 30% of America and shoving them all into Montana. Um, I know some people from Montana. They would absolutely hate that. Um, But it creates an interesting ministry environment. The the population density of Nagoya is 17,000 people per square mile. So yeah, imagine a square mile around here and it sticks 17,000 people in it. Like, that is a difficult place to live and it's a difficult place to do ministry inside of. Now, um, there's a trick, though. I think most humans, if living in an environment like that, would go crazy in a short amount of time. Like, I think some people here are like, I wouldn't like to live there, and I think nobody, like, necessarily wants to. There's a trick, though. We all do it. When we get on the train, and you're shoulder to shoulder to people, when you're walking down the street, and it's just a sea of people crossing, oftentimes you get out your phone, get out a book, grab a newspaper, and you pretend you're the only person there. So I'll be on that train, and I know there's a person right here, there's a person right here, there's three people right here, but I've got my phone, I'm reading a book or something like that, and I'm alone. I'm just by myself. You live in a tiny bubble. And as I walk through the city, right before we left to come to the U.S., US, I was riding the train, and I was walking through Nagoya Station, and it was a really crowded part of the day. And as I walked through there, I was kind of existing in my own little bubble. I was thinking about what I need to pack, and I was thinking about, you know, when we were going to leave, and it was like a car to the airport, and just thinking through all these logistics when there was a moment when my bubble popped, and I saw the people, and I saw the crowds, and I was overwhelmed, not in, not in like a socially anxious kind of way, but I just kept thinking, 1% Christian. I'm standing here with thousands of people all around me, and maybe there's a handful of people in these crowds that know Jesus. And it was heartbreaking. And I I didn't know what to do. There was a moment when I was overwhelmed with it. I thought, what am I supposed to do? And I, I called out to God, and I was like, how am I supposed to reach these people? How am I supposed to connect with these people? How am I supposed to do anything in the face of this vast lostness? But, luckily for us, we've got an answer to that. We can look at the Word. We can see what Jesus did. Now, in, in, in Matthew 9, as we read before, Jesus is traveling through cities, and He is teaching, He's performing miracles, and as He's going, crowds are following after Him. I mean, imagine if you heard that someone was coming along, and they were healing every disease and every affliction, and you had a family member or a friend who was sick and hurting. Like, of course, you would just grab them and take them out there. Like, no one would stop you. I mean, we read, you know, Nora and Judy's favorite stories, the story about the guys digging a hole 
in the roof of a house just to get their friend in front of Jesus. You would do everything you could. And so naturally, we, we see these crowds following after Jesus. And, and he had to have known that they were there. Like, he, he knew what he was doing. But I think in this moment, when we read in Matthew 9, Jesus' bubble breaks and he sees the crowds. And so let's, let's read what it says again. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them for they were, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion. This is our answer to the lostness in the world around them. We, we see the lostness in the world, and we should be brokenhearted by it, and we should be moved by compassion, because this world is not what it should be, right? It is full of sin. So, we serve at Mustard Seed Christian Church, and I have the opportunity to preach there now and again, um, and, and when I do, we've got a stage. Um, we don't have a really cool, wide stand like this one, but um, behind the stage, instead of being a banner here, we've, we've got our background, but then on either side of us, we're up on the seventh floor of a high-rise building, um, there are great big windows that look out over the city. And when I look out to my left, over my shoulder, I can see a huge billboard. And this isn't just like one of those billboards that is, you know, just a regular billboard. This is like the TV screen kind of billboard. And flashing on this billboard the entire time that I'm giving a sermon is advertisements for a pachinko parlor. Now, pachinko is a Japanese style of slot machine. It's just like, come, worship at the altar of money over and over and over again during worship, during the sermon, during all parts of church. There it is, right there. And we look out to the other side. There are more sides advertising more things. The world around us is calling us away from worshiping the Creator and asking us to worship the Creator. We're, we're told we need to buy the newest phones, the newest gadgets. We hold up possessions as an idol. We're told we, know we need to work longer hours and our jobs become an idol. And we're told we need to look a certain way and our image and our body become an idol. The world is constantly trying to pull us away from God and away from righteousness. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I see all that, and sometimes I'm full of anger and frustration over it. I see that it's, I see the injustice and the idolatry and the unrighteousness in the world, and I want to see it made right. Now, that itself can be a godly impulse. We're created in the image of God. God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. And I think all of those aspects are imprinted on our hearts as image bearers of God. But there's a problem where God is perfect and holy and he thirsts for justice and righteousness perfectly. We're sinful. We have fallen short. And oftentimes those godly impulses to see righteousness done get twisted into sinful hate and anger. Instead of being angry at the broken world around us, we need to be brokenhearted. We should see how far the world falls short of God's goodness, and it should break our hearts. Like Jesus was moved by compassion, so too should we be moved by compassion. We should also remember how far each of us, how much each of us was forgiven. 
Because as we read in Romans 5, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for, for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Christians, we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus, while we were still sinners, knowing that we were sinners, chose to die for us. Even more than just that, Christ knew me a sinner, and he knew that I would accept his forgiveness, and then I would sin again. But still, knowing that, Christ chose to die for us. We have been shown an immense and wonderful grace, and we should be moved to show a similar grace to the lost around us. Now, in a normal sermon, this is where I would say, and what are you going to do about it? But because I'm a missionary here to share about our ministry, I'm going to tell you what we've been doing about it. So um, I've got another picture up here, and this is a picture of CBI. So we've got our sign there, CBI, it says Christos, sorry, Christo Seisho Shingakuen on the building there. And we're in the downtown area of, of Nagoya. If you go to the next picture, we've got another from another angle, and you can see that's our little building, four stories in the middle of this dense urban environment. Now, um, our vision at CBI, like our big goal, the thing that if we accomplish this, we can just be done our vision is, as we put it, it says, uh, our vision is to see the gospel of the glory of Christ cherished and proclaimed throughout Japan. That is our goal. Nothing short of a gospel movement spreading throughout the whole country. Now, that language, we take it from 2 Corinthians 4. Um, I'm going to read it here. We've got a little time here. Um, Adam said I can just preach as long as I want, so I'm going to read all the scripture. We're, gonna, we're just going to keep going. It says, uh, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the, in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God, lowercase g, of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is our hope. This is our goal. We want to see churches planting churches. We want to see disciples making disciples. We want to see a gospel movement changing culture and spreading throughout all of Japan. Now that, that's a big idea, right? That's, that's a lot. And as I said, once we accomplish this, we can retire. We say we're done. So my goal is to, uh, is to see all of Japan become a Christian. Um, now, I have to make a confession. I... Uh, I love cheesy action movies. Um, there's a movie from the 90s. It was uh, called The Ghost in the Darkness. Um, have you guys ever you know this movie? It's about a lion. This, Val Kilmer goes and he hunts lions and builds bridges in Africa. And he, there's a side character in there who's a missionary. 
And uh, he says, the missionary character says, oh, when I came to Africa, my goal was to see all of Africa won over to Christendom. But now that I've been here, I just want to see you. And he points like Val Kilmer and the other guy. And he's like, and I was like, yeah, that should be, that should be our goal though, right? I'm like, that should be our role model, like going to a field and having hope and having the desire to see an immense change done. Um, Spoiler alert, he gets eaten by a lion, so maybe not the best role model to follow after. Um, But that's our goal. Now, that is great to have this really big goal, but to get to that goal, we need to have a mission. And our mission statement is the lens through which we look at our vision and we try to accomplish it. So our mission at CBI is to equip Christians in Japan for the work of gospel ministry. Now, no matter how long I live in Japan, no matter how good my Japanese gets, I will always be a foreigner. Even if I renounce my American citizenship and become a Japanese citizen, I will still be a foreigner. I will still be held at arm's length by the culture in general. And that's okay. Japanese leaders and Japanese pastors will always have more access and influence into people's lives than I will. And our hope at CBI is to raise up a new generation of Japanese leaders to bring this gospel movement to Japan. We found that our ability, our role, can be much better in the support and equipping role than is as like the, the leader of all these ministries. So everything we, de- need, we do needs to go through that. And our goal in, with our students at the seminary is to instill what we call in Japanese a fukui no seikatsu, or a gospel lifestyle, into the hearts of our students so that they can go out and make disciples who make disciples, who plant churches, who plant churches, and bring this gospel movement to Japan. Now, all that still hasn't told you what I do and what we've been doing. My role at CBI is the logistics and technology coordinator. I know, still not very clear. But what that means is that I work with the different ministries and the different teams at CBI to give them the logistical need, the support, technological need, all the different like nuts and bolts of moving forward a ministry that they might need. And, And sometimes that means launching and developing a new cloud storage system and a new email system. And other times that means working with local contractors to do renovations of our buildings. Um, in that picture we had of CBI, we had a new logo that we stuck up there. Um, I had no idea how much work it was to put a new logo on the side of a building. Like, these were all things that, you know, I've had to figure out. And, and it's kind of fun for me. Uh, there are times when I'm always learning new skills, always solving new problems. And I know for some people that can be really stressful, but I feel like God has prepared me to come into this role and to, to find excitement and joy in this ever-changing landscape of ministry. Now, 2020 was the original time when we planned to come back to America to do support raising again. We were like, all right, let's go. We bought tickets in like 2019, I think at the end of the year, and we were like, we're going to go summer of 2020. This is going to be awesome. The world had different ideas. So now it's 2022. We had to push everything back. Well, while we were in Japan, the Japanese government asked us to stop doing pretty much everything. They said, stop gathering, stop having classes in person, stop doing all of this. Like, you got to go home and you got to be, you know, distant. And we did our best to respect the wishes of the Japanese government. And that made us kind of like halt many of the ministries that I was really passionate about and all of us were working on. And we had to think like, what do we do? And I know some ministries in that time hunkered down and just thought, okay, we're just going to sit down and we're going to wait for everything to go back to normal. 
And for us, we, we couldn't do it. We couldn't stop. We were like, okay, what do we need to do? What can we do in this time the way the world is? And we started to reach out to pastors. We started to reach out to churches. And we say, hey, what is something that you need that you don't have? What is a, what is a need that we can fulfill? And one of the things that we kept hearing back was that people needed more Christian resources in Japanese. There are just not that many Christian books in Japanese. And we thought, you know what? That's something we can do something about. We have a bunch of really good people on our staff who are bilingual, who work in translation and interpretation. And so we started coordinating people together to get people to translate, to get people to proofread. And we're like, okay, let's figure out what it takes to make a book right? And by God's grace, in 2019, we had a conference. It was called Marriage Matters. And we did this, we had Paul Tripp come over to Japan, and he shared um, about marriage and marriage counseling and, and all this kind of stuff. It was a really great conference. And it was really well received. And when we started asking churches what kind of resources you needed, they often said Christian counseling. And so we thought, oh, we know just the guy. So we called up Paul Tripp and we said, hey, your book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, can we translate that into Japanese? He gave us the green light, which then we found out just because the author says it's okay doesn't mean you just can do it. We then had to go to the publishing company, but everything by God's grace worked out really well. We got the rights, we began to translate it, we proofread it, we designed the InDesign files, and then we went off to a, to a printer, a printer in Nagoya, and we said, hey, I've got this file. We have a church. They've given money so we can print 5,000 copies of this book. Can you print 5,000 copies? And the printer goes, oh, yeah, I can print 5,000 copies. He's like, but you shouldn't. And we're like, why not? He's like, oh, I've printed Christian books before. He's like, 300, 500, that's probably the max that you want to do. And we're like, oh, but we're giving away these books. And he's like, yeah. He's like, that's not, that's too many. He said, if we give you 5,000 copies of this book, he's like, you will have them for the rest of your life. And we just said, you know what? That's fine. We'll take it. He happily takes our money. And then a new logistical challenge that I had to overcome was, what do I do with 5,000 copies of a book? Because that took up way more space than I anticipated. He basically dropped off something the size of a Volkswagen Beetle in our like, entryway, and I had to find where to take all these books. Um, but as we did, we began to call those churches again. And we said, hey, we have this book. It's on Christian counseling. It's in Japanese. It's just what you asked. How many copies would you want? And oftentimes, the pastor of a church would say, one, please. So we'd mail him one copy. But we pray about this. We knew this was a good book. This is what people were asking for. He would read the book. Two or three weeks would go by, and we'd get a call back from that same church who'd be like, hey, so you sent us one. Could you send us 50 more so we can give one to every person in the church? And we were like, of course. And we'd mail them off. Six months go by, and we've given away 5,000 copies of this book. Now, we were blown away by it. We call up the printer and we said, hey, we need to print another 5,000 copies. His first question was, did you have a fire? And we're like, no, we gave it away. And, you know, we, we learned a lot of lessons in designing this first book, printing it and sending it out. But as we did, we began to look forward, like, what more can we do? And so the next book we did was called New City Catechism. It's a really great question and answer intro to Christianity book. We printed that up. And then after that, we did another uh, Christian counseling book called Caring for One Another by Ed Welch, another really good book. After that, we did The Gospel-Centered Life, another really good discipleship book. And right now, what we're working on is New Morning Mercies, a, uh, another book by Paul Tripp that is a uh, daily devotional guide. Um, and today, after about two years of working on this project, we've given away almost 20,000 copies of different books to the, community, the Christian communities throughout Japan. 
It's been really exciting to see God bless this ministry that, you know, I don't think, I'm gonna be honest, probably wouldn't have tried this quite as hard if it weren't for having to stop everything. What the world intended for evil ended up working out for good in this Christian context. Now, in that same time, we had moved all of our seminary classes online. We started having Zoom classes, and that's really hard for kids. For adults, it's a lot easier. We were constantly asking our students, like, how are you liking these Zoom classes? And we had quite a few students be like, well, I kind of like going to seminary in my pajamas. And we're like, okay, I mean, if you like it, great. But as we were doing it, um, one of the professors at the seminary, the president of the seminary, actually, he, uh, he had an idea. He was like, hey, what if we take one of our seminary classes and we do it on Saturday and we reach out to all the churches that we know and we invite them to come audit this class? Because normally in a seminary class, we have a few auditors from local churches who come to, to the seminary and just want to hear the lesson. Um, and so we were like, yeah, let's do it. We start sending out messages on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and we email everyone, and we put it out in the newsletter. We say, seminary on Saturday. Come listen to an intro to Genesis, the book of Genesis class. Um, seminary level, this will give you an idea of what seminary classes look like. And we send it all out, and I was talking to Matt about this, and we were both decided if like 20 people come, we are going to be considered the success. We're like, this is going to be awesome. So we have 10 students in there, and then when we open up the class at 9 o'clock, 85 auditors all came in all at the same time. We were blown away at the response, and these were people from all over Japan. There were a couple Americans who showed up in the class who were very confused. I don't think they read the full description of what it was. Like, maybe it was just seen, like, the Google Translate version on Facebook or something, but, like, we had a huge response to it, and we're really excited by the people that came, and it, it kind of made us stop for a moment and think, okay, there is a desire for this kind of education and equipping in the church in Japan, and not everyone can come to Nagoya, and so we began thinking about a distance learning program and what it would take to, to build that. Now, the director of the seminary comes up to me, he says, hey, Will, do you think it would be possible to build a recording studio in the old guest room on the roof of CBI? And I was like, oh yeah, of course it's possible. He's like, okay, thanks. He goes away. A couple days later, he comes back, hey, Will, I got a task for you. By the end of the month, I want you to give me a budget proposal to send off to a grant foundation to build a studio in the old guest room on the top of CBI. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Okay, sure. Um, I have to then go and research cameras and lighting and microphones and stage design and build out this proposal for what I think. And the fun part about it was like, I had said, okay, I'm gonna shoot for this much. I think this will be a good number. I was like, but if they don't give me this, I'll, give, I'll take this. And if they can't give me this, then I'll buy these things. We send off the grant proposal and the foundation just goes, okay, here you go. And it dawns on me, I should ask for more. Um, but in about a year's time, we built this studio on top of there. And now we've gotten our professors in there and we just finished up recording one of the first classes. It's a direct-to-camera recording. We've got a nice studio behind it. We've got multiple cameras. I don't know if you guys have ever taken a distance learning like course on like a college level or anything like that. Sometimes, I'm not gonna name any names, but like I took one course, it was just the professor looking dead eye into the camera and it was the most boring thing I'd ever watched. And I was like, okay, we really gotta make this a little bit easier to watch. So good audio quality, some camera transitions, we got his illustrations coming up on the slide. 
I'm really happy with the product we've been able to do, and we're really excited because we're going to start recording our ministry certificate. After that, we're going to start recording the Masters of Divinity program, and hopefully by the time that is done, we'll be able to launch our new Christian counseling degree program and begin recording that as well. God has really blessed us with all of this in a way that we can start to expand the reach that CBI's had and equip and train people in a way that we never thought we would have been able to before. It's really, really exciting. You know, even in mustard seed at the church, we've seen some exciting developments and growth in the last, kind of, the last couple of years. Now, as we moved church online, we really lost a lot of our attendance. And then when we came back to in-person classes, it was as though we went back several years in our growth of, of a church. And it was kind of difficult. But when we were doing Zoom as our, our church service, we started up in an 8 o'clock in the evening, uh, dis, uh, not discipleship, but uh, discussion time. We thought, hey, we need, to, we need to generate more of this community, more of this togetherness. We need to kind of simulate being in person a little bit more. So we would tell everyone, as church was ending, we're like, hey, log back into Zoom. Here's a link. We can talk about the sermon. We'll have questions and answers. We'll have the discussion questions. We'll be able to kind of like pick apart and answer any of your questions we had about the sermon. And that was really well received. We had a lot of people joining this discussion group. And then as we came back to in-person class, in-person church, we thought, okay, now we can be done with all of the Zoom stuff. But we had a couple people ask us, they're like, hey, so are you going to keep doing the in-person, the discussion group? We really liked it. And, you know, the response was like, oh, of course, yes, uh, yes, we are planning to do that. Of course we are. And so we've kept doing this evening discussion group, which has been really great. I think, um, be honest, I haven't attended very many of them. Uh, we realize that we have a bilingual church, so all of our services are in English and Japanese. Most of the people who would come to these um, discussion groups were all in Japanese, and my Japanese is good enough to really follow along most of the time, but it was real difficult for me at times. So when I would preach, occasionally I would then come to maybe answer some questions, but um, for the most part, it was our Japanese staff um, leading this, this discussion group. And it was really exciting to see a new kind of facet of our church generated in that time. Now, I've shared with you a lot of different things about what we're excited about and what we're doing. And, and I've, you know, been really blessed in this time to be working with a ministry that is, isn't afraid to dream really big. Because there are moments in, uh, as we've worked in Japan, where I've seen ministries constrained by their trust in God where they, they are afraid to swing for the fences, to try something big, where they're just like, mm, that seems a little too crazy, let's, let's not. Um, but luckily for me, and, and by God's grace, I'm a part of an organization that isn't afraid to make mistakes, isn't afraid to fail. Um, we feel like it's worth trying even if we might fail. Um, and there, we have grace and forgiveness in that when things don't go according to plan. And I haven't shared all of those, but there are many things that we have tried that have not gone according to plan, but we've kept moving and we've kept persevering in it, and God has honored those efforts. So I want to give you guys an, an encouragement right now, like as your church grows and as you labor here, um, I hope I don't mispronounce it in Mascuda. Is that right? I got it? All right. Um, we were driving into town and we saw the sign and we were like, I have no idea how to say that, um, but like the, the water tower up there, but um, I want to encourage you guys to dream big. Like, God, God is a big God, and he'll, he'll honor our labors. So, yeah, don't be afraid. Now, um, 
what time is it? How much time do I have left? I got time? Man, that's a dangerous thing to tell me. I should have asked someone else. Um, <laughs> I'm going to keep you here too long. Now, I, I just, I'm going to share one last, one last little story. Um, and we shared this last night. Um, there's a church south of Nagoya called Yokaichi. And in, it's in a prefecture called Mie. And in Mie, there are very few churches. This is one of the most unreached prefecture in all of Japan. And there was a, uh, now this is a long story, so I'm going to give you the real short version of the story. There was a woman in the church, and she was a faithful Christian, and she, said, she went to the church, and she said, I'm getting up there in years. When I pass, I want to leave my house and all my possessions to the church so that you can plant another church. Because she lived in a town far south of there, and she had to commute about an hour and a half every day to come up to church. And the church was like, we'd love to take that donation. You know, we would absolutely do that kind of thing. Like, that is wonderful. So she set it up. Time goes by, she passes away, and then when they go down to settle all of those affairs, they find out that the house is worth one and a half million dollars. And then on top of that, as they're cleaning out the house, the pastor is, I'm hearing the story, he picks up the cushion of a couch as he's like cleaning things up for a state sale, and sitting underneath the cushion of this couch is a gold bar like actual gold bar. And they come to find out this woman and her husband had never really trusted banks, and over the years, they had been buying gold and squirreled it away in their house. And as they explored the house, they found a half a million dollars in gold hidden in this woman's house. Um, I think the pastor, as he took them to the bank, was probably terrified to be riding in a taxi with all this gold. But now, Yokaiichi, this church, and um, they have committed to planting three churches between where she lived and Yokaiichi, and it's going to be led by Japanese members from the church. And, you know, in a church plant, one of the big stressors in the beginning is money. Will you have enough money to find a space and to buy equipment, to pay for salaries? And now that's been relieved from these people. We have um, some of our graduates are going to be a part of it. Uh, one of our professors is actually at Yokaichi, and it's been really great to see them kind of pushing forward with this fukui no seikatsu, this gospel lifestyle, and seeing how God has provided for this new church planning effort in a way no one in a million years would have ever expected. Like, no one would have ever thought, hey, you know what's going to fund this church? Gold bars. That's what's going to do it. But there it is. That is what God has provided. And it was amazing to see his provision. So, I'm not just here to tell you about what we're doing. I'm here to ask something of you. So let's keep reading in Matthew 9. So after Jesus sees the crowds, he has a response. He tells his disciples. He says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we're here today to ask something of you. We're here to ask you to pray. Just like Jesus asked his disciples, I'm asking you guys, we have a lot of things we're excited about in our ministry in Japan, but the future isn't certain for us. We've been having some success in publishing these books and recording these lessons, but we haven't launched, launched the distance learning program yet, and we can't guarantee that people are going to continue to want these books, and we need prayers. We need prayers that we would be wise, that we'd be able to follow God's guidance, and that He would provide for us as we move forward. Now, part of the trip that missionaries make when we were on the field, there's lots of different um, terms for it. Some people call it itinerating, some people call it furlough, which maybe makes it sound more like a vacation, um, which is definitely not, and some people call it home mission assignment. I kind of like that one, HMA. 
what we do when we travel around is we want to visit churches that have supported us and visit friends and family, and we want to update people on things that we've been doing. We send out a newsletter, and we're on Facebook and things like that, but we also want to just share in person the successes and the joys that we've had. But we're also here to raise support because our ministry, like Joe and I, we're funded by people and by churches that give money to us, to our sending organization to be able to send us to Japan. Now, the interesting thing is, is years ago, this was mostly all churches would fund a missionary. You'd have a missionary who maybe had six or ten different churches that supported him. They'd come back to, you know, America, they'd visit those places, and then they'd go back to the country. Well, Joe and I, I think the number is 97, um, something in the 90s. Like, I think it's, we have 97 supporters. Six of them are churches. Our ministry is mostly funded by individuals who give uh, to our sending organization to be able to send us to Japan. Um, And just in full disclosure, right now, we're in a deficit. Um, We're about, in monthly commitments, about $500 a month behind where we should be optimally. Now, we're not in a place where there's a ticking clock of, if we don't get the money, we've got to go home now, like we got to leave the country. God has blessed us in a way that we have, we've got a buffer so that we can operate at a deficit for a time, but we can't operate like that forever. So I would love you guys to pray. Um, Pray for us as we labor in Japan, but also pray about supporting our ministry financially if that's something that you can do sustainably. Um, We have been in Japan for 13 years now, and we, this is our career. This is where we're going to be for the rest of our lives, as far as we know. Um, We've we've just said we have no exit strategy. We, We come and we plan to be here as long as God will have us. So um, over here on the table over here, I've got a sign with some facts about Japan on it, but we've got a newsletter sign-up list. I used to call it the monthly newsletter, but, you know, life is difficult, so I've erased monthly on there, and it's just the newsletter that goes out maybe monthly. Um, And then we also have some prayer cards. There's a picture of our family on there and some information on how to contact us on the back. I would love it. It would bring me so much joy if everyone here in the church would grab one of our prayer cards put it in your Bible, put it on a refrigerator, stick it somewhere so that when you see about it, see it, you can pray for us. Because living in a culture that's not your own is stressful. And it's harder for some people than it is for others, but for everyone, it is a slow drip of tension and stress. And it's not easy. We miss our families. We miss the culture that we've grew up in, and it's just not the same there. So pray for us as we're there. Pray for us as parents. Um, We have kids now who have been born in Japan who are growing up in, in a nation that is such a dark and desolate place. Like, pray that they would be beacons of the gospel in the schools that they go to, with the kids they play with, and that we would be able to be good parents that could raise them well. So, Pray for our ministry, that we'd be wise and that God would guide us. Pray for our children, that we would be able to be good parents for them. And I want you to pray for the lost of Japan. There are so many people there who have never heard the gospel. That was my first experience coming to Japan, was meeting someone who not only wasn't a Christian, but had never heard of Christianity. It's kind of a, a mind-boggling idea. I mean, in, in, I went to a Bible college, and we'd have these theoretical debates about a person who'd never been exposed to the gospel, and it was always an uncontacted tribe in the Amazon or something like that. But here they are in Japan. Like, I met someone who just had never heard the gospel, had never been exposed to it. Just pray for them, because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They don't even know what they don't know. So, yeah, pray for us. I really thank you for giving me the time to share with you, for giving me the time to be here, to share what I'm excited about. Um, You guys are great, and this is a great community. Thank you.
Okay. Yeah, Thank you.